is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. What does the year ahead look like for hemp production and research in the Northern Territory? Farmers are interested, and I think um, where the real interest will be is to see where hemp fits into a, into a cotton system rather than as a, a standalone crop. And, and I think there could be some real benefits in terms of value-add, but let's see what comes out of this value chain study. I'll tell you more about that study in a moment and the opportunities for hemp Crete. And tell me on this Thursday lunchtime, have you ever sat down to a feed of Jumperdut? It is a tropical fruit. It's grown in the Northern Territory and it's in season. Today on the Country Hour, we'll head to a farm for a look and a taste. So Jumperdut itself is actually very different to a jackfruit. Um, it's more of a softer fruit. It's a Southeast Asian delicacy. Consumers sometimes do eat it raw ripe. Some other consumers would eat a fry it like a banana fritter. All kinds of goodies on the Country Hour today. I hope you can stick around. We're broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC, streaming online, and g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. And guess what, Country Hour fans? It's fixed. It's back. The text line is once again up and running. So if you'd like to get in touch with the program, our text number is 0487991057. The text line is back, ladies and gentlemen. 0487991057. First up today, we can tell you that the company that wants to restart one of Australia's largest gold mines has today released its feasibility study for the project. So the Mount Todd gold mine near Catherine. It's been under care and maintenance since the year 2000. It's been owned by Vista Gold since 2006. And last year, you might remember, it received the tick of approval from the Territory Government to restart mining. So today... The feasibility study is out. What were the results? Is this mine feasible? Max Rowley spoke to General Manager Brent Murdoch. We found that the landscape's changed changed a lot since our previous um, pre-feasibility studies were conducted um, over the last seven years. So we're now looking at at a much better gold price for our feasibility study was based on $1,600 an ounce, which is uh, much improved. And that's resulted in the project being a lot more robust. Um, It's a longer project now, so we've gone from 13 to 16 years. Our cash costs are very similar to they were in in the past. Um, So having a a higher gold price um, definitely improves um, the project makes it a lot more attractive for those looking at um, providing funding to the project. What next? So next steps were, I guess, super excited that the um, international borders are coming down on the, on the 21st of this month. And so the next steps is really to progress the due diligence of those looking to partner and, and fund the project. So now... By the end of this month, we will be able to um, have parties and different entities 
um, come to the Northern Territory and sit down with us and go through in, in detail um, the project and its characteristics, travel to the mine, have a look at the, the existing infrastructure and the land, uh, sit down with, with, with the Jawin, sit down with, with the Northern Territory uh, government and, and various agencies and, and regulators and complete the, the due diligence that needs to be done uh, by these entities to come up with a funding strategy that works for our existing shareholders and in the new entities. So that's a component we haven't been able to do, obviously, over, uh, since, uh, since COVID. So having a feasibility study uh, that we published today, having the Northern Territory opening up uh, later this month, um, those two uh, events will um, conspire to, to getting a funding strategy that sees us um, into production in Mount Todd. So when would you hope to start construction then? I'd, I'd hope to start construction, um, you know, 12 months. The construction phase is, is a two-year construction where we build a, um, a camp to house the people out on site. There'd be around 450 construction personnel uh, full-time over that two-year period. And then we would transition for six months into a, a dry and then wet commissioning phase. And then we would go into operations. But during operations, we very similar uh, number of people. We'd start around 350 full-time jobs. We'd move to 450 full-time jobs at the peak of our operations. But that's, uh, so from a timeline perspective, when you put that together, you're looking at a, at a three-and-a-half-year timeline from today before got producing gold. And then we produce gold for 16 years, and then we go into a four-year uh, closure phase um, of the project. So, you know, we're getting close now to a 30-year to a uh, mine life, um, and I think that will just be continued to be added on to throughout the life of the project, continue to drill. We've got 1,500 square kilometres of exploration uh, ground around the mine, uh, we've had a drill rig there continuously now for over over 12 months, continuing to find gold near mine. So I think you know, the timeline of the project, um, although it's certainly been a slower um, start, we would have liked to have been in production uh, um, many years ago. I think this time has enabled us to have a, a much better, um, robust uh, project. Just lastly, Brent, there has been a lot of rain recently. What does the open pit at Mount Todd look like at the moment? Uh, we're really fortunate. Um, since 2013, where we treated the water and had a program of, of releasing that treated water uh, through successive wet seasons, uh, last year we cancelled our waste discharge licence because we no longer have that water inventory on site that requires us to be discharging to the Edith River. So the water levels in the Batman pit, our main pit, um, we've pumped down as far as we can with our existing pumps as, 
uh, only half a gigalitre of water left, as opposed to the 11.8 gigalitres we started with. So we've, we've basically got a small pond in, in the bottom of the pit. We're really happy about that. We're really happy we've had an average wet season again uh, on two counts. One, the water inventory on site, and, and secondly, um, a lot of us love our, our fishing, and we're going. We're looking forward to a cracker uh, for our Monday fishing season. It's a win-win. As Vista Gold's general manager Brent Murdoch speaking to Max Rowley, the company has today released its feasibility study into reopening the Mount Todd gold mine near Catherine. The company. Keen to bring this project back to life. The big job ahead now, of course, is raising capital. Vista says it needs to raise more than a billion dollars to get the project back up and running. As we go to air this afternoon, the Aussie gold price sitting at a very healthy $2,560 an ounce. That's up about $180 compared to this time last year. Another commodity that is on the up maybe not for the best, is the price of crude oil. It has hit a seven-year high this week, going beyond $90 US a barrel. Now, this is due to a range of supply and demand factors. Energy economist Dr Roberto Aguilera believes a price correction is on its way in the coming months, which should be good news for those who are feeling the pressure of high fuel prices. Because we're not used to this and prices are so high, I do think that analysts are getting a bit carried away and expecting this to continue and to go even higher. Part of that is fueled by the geopolitical troubles of today, particularly what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. But in my view, we may have seen the high for crude prices already. The reason for that is that the demand growth we've seen recently is not sustainable. After the winter subsides in the north, demand growth should level off. And then, importantly, on the supply side, there's huge amounts of production expected in 2022 from all the important producing regions, including uh, Canada, Latin America, Brazil, and the U.S., which has their unconventional shale oil, which is expected to bounce back in a big way in 2022. In addition, the OPEC Plus group in their new production deal have agreed to continuously bring back their crude onto the market month after month after month. So I think starting maybe even in this quarter, but uh, by the second quarter, 2022, we'll head into an oversupplied crude oil market, and that will put some downward pressure on prices and provide relief for users of of crude oil and products, everyone from drivers to the agricultural industry that's so dependent on uh, fuel products for their machinery, for the transportation of their products uh, as an input to fertilizer, for example. So I think that uh, oversupplied market and lower prices are coming in 2022, and it'll persist through 2022, even 2023. Let's hope he's right, hey? That's energy economist Dr. Roberto Aguilera just looking at diesel prices around the Northern Territory this afternoon, care of the NT website. In Darwin, diesel sitting at around $1.80 a litre, $1.87 in Catherine, $1.79 out at Litchfield, $2.00 in the Barclay, $2 a litre, and 
for our friends in East Arnhem, diesel sitting at $2.30 a litre. G'day, Sam Nowen from the Darwin Aquaculture Centre. Been managing the trials for oyster production on Goulburn and Tiwi Islands. Gotta love a territory oyster, and you're listening to the Country Hour. Now, if you tuned into the Country Hour yesterday, you might have caught Kaya Gill of Javoy's Station in Central Australia who has been waiting for weeks to get her mail and some essential supplies. She even drove 350 kilometres into Alice Springs to go get the post herself, but was pretty disappointed when she arrived. Only to find that all of these items that I'd ordered in the first two weeks of January were sitting in Adelaide Depot. When I inquired why they're sitting in Adelaide Depot, I was told that apparently all regular road mail is being stockpiled until the railway is cleared and that the only mail that is coming or going at the moment is express post. So unless you've paid for express postage for items, uh, they weren't sure when we would receive them. Kaya Gill on the Country Hour yesterday. Now, Javoy's station is not the only Territory cattle station dealing with these postal problems. It is a real issue. So up next on the Country Hour you'll get to hear from Australia Post and get the latest information. That's next. Right across the Territory, on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. It is 13 to 1. Northern Territory cattle stations, a lot of them haven't seen the mail plane in a while. In fact, they haven't seen Post in quite some time. And the reason behind this, of course, has been the flooding in South Australia, which has cut the Stewart Highway and the rail service. Mail just has not been getting into the Northern Territory like it normally does. So what's going on? What is the update? Well, Fiona McKenzie is the Territory Manager for Australia Post. She told Hugo Rickard-Bell that trucks are on the move and people should soon see a real difference in their service. So obviously the road and rail have been closed for approximately three weeks. So we've got about a 1,000 what we call UL diesel pallet sizes of parcel posts that's been delayed that would normally come up by rail. Um, with that, we it is en route. We have had some through last week. A large number of ULDs arrived over last weekend and we now are expecting a high number of ULDs coming in this week. So we've got plans in place to keep it moving. It just got delayed for a while as we went through the road and rail closure scope. Well, what are you and what were you doing to sort of, I guess, work around that road closure? Okay. So initially, um, initially there wasn't much visibility on how long the road or rail would be closed. So the product was holding in its normal location, which is Adelaide. But once we got a view on how badly damaged the road and rail was and the extent of the repairs, we actually started reaching out for other trucking assets to move it through to Brisbane. So a diversion of about 3,000 kilometres. And we took it through to our Brisbane parcel facility and we've now been starting to shuffle that into the Northern Territory. From an Australian Post point of view, what sort of delays did that cause? 
At this stage, the delay, look, we did have some product through last week as we got hold of trucks. Um, bearing in mind, you know, all your shopping centres, you, you're looking at your shelves, they're all empty as well. We're all fighting for the same trucks. So it took a while to get the contingency plans up and running. So we got some in last week. And now we've got good visibility. We've got eight B-doubles heading towards us um, within the next three to four days. When can people expect to receive, um, you know, these long-awaited uh, parcels and postage? Okay, so if you're a pastoralist, which is some of our remotest areas, they only usually have one delivery a week under an ES scheme. So we'll go out to the various airfields. So we'll start processing the product as it comes in this week. We push it off to areas such as Catherine and Alice Springs, and then planes will go out and distribute it from there. So it's still going to be a knock-on effect of approximately a week. And bearing in mind, we've got three weeks' worth of backlog we've now got to process and push out through the network as well. So, you know, our team are working extremely hard to get this done, but it, it will take a few weeks to catch up. What sort of cost does 3,000 kilometres um, via Brisbane mean for you guys? <laughs> Look, I haven't seen the invoices, but I would suggest that if you're an independent trunking company and you're diverting 3,000 kilometres and you're having to go at short notice, etc. There's significant cost involved, but at the end of the day, we are an essential service and we've got to get those parcels moving as quickly as possible to get them to our customers. That's the Territory Manager of Australia Post, Fiona McKenzie, speaking to Hugo Rickard-Bell. Fiona giving us the late mail on what's happening with the Post. Rail lines between SA, Northern Territory and WA set to reopen next Tuesday on February 15, if all goes to plan. As I mentioned earlier, the text line is back here at the Country Hour. It's been out of action for the last week or so, but it's back and we are hearing from you. Got a message here from Alex, who is the local historian in Alice Springs. He says, Matt, whenever I hear about the Mount Todd gold mine, I'm reminded that its original development along with the MacArthur River mine, was fast-tracked during the early to mid-1990s as compensation for the locking up of Coronation Hill within Stage 3 of the Kakadu National Park in 1991, says Alex. Both mine sites have experienced significant environmental issues, but essentially they are the legacy of territory and natural national politics some three decades ago, says Alex. On zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven. If you missed the start of today's country hour and our conversation with Vista Gold, which owns the Mount Todd project near Catherine, it's put out its feasibility study today. Uh, that interview, if you did miss it, will be on our podcast later this afternoon. Ready for some new adventures? Back Roads is back. From the macho mining town of Tom Price in WA to outback Queensland and Tasmania's Cradle Mountain. Join me, Heather Hewitt, and some of my fellow guest explorers for a journey to some of this country's most remote towns, full of surprising and memorable characters. All new Backroads. New adventures, Monday nights on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. That text number, 0487 now, in 2019, the Northern Territory became the last jurisdiction in Australia 
to legalise the commercial production of industrial hemp. And while there's been some farmers and cattle stations showing interest in this crop, we're yet to see any large commercial plantings. So how is 2022 shaping up? Well, Alex Peachy is with the NT Department of Industry, and he says along with some crop trials, there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes to develop value chains. Thanks, Matt. Um, I'm looking at a value chain with the Department of Primary Industries in Western Australia. So what we're doing is looking at where hemp can be grown and what varieties of hemp will grow and where they'll um, where they will actually grow successfully. So we have three sorts of hemp, three types of hemp which farmers can become involved in. The first is hemp for seed, and they can use seed for human consumption or other purposes. They can grow hemp for fibre, but you need a decortication plant. Or you can grow hemp for biomass to feed to cattle, but that is still not legal until we know if the THC levels in hemp are at an acceptable level. So we're looking at variety work um, with hemp in Catherine and with our colleagues in WA, mainly in Kununurra. Once we've established that, um, we can then feed that information into possible value chains. And one of the value chains we're looking at is growing hemp in the south of Western Australia and using that for um, feeding into production of hempcrete blocks. Now, hempcrete blocks, I believe, absorb carbon dioxide, they're lightweight, and uh, they can be transported at lower cost. So if we can grow hemp there, these blocks are being produced in Western Australia at the moment, and those blocks can be used in construction for Indigenous communities, for housing in Indigenous communities and other communities around the country. So the, the variety that can be turned into hempcrete, is that now being trialled in Northern Australia? Yes, I believe it's being tried in Kununurra to see if that will grow. and uh, We're just waiting for those results to come out. Um, we're also looking at other varieties as hemp uh, as an intercrop for cotton because um, it, it might fit well into a cotton, the modern cotton rotation system uh, and possibly, as I said, be fed to cattle when that becomes legal. Has the North found a, a variety of hemp yet that can be grown over the wet season? We're still looking. Um, very little work was done on hemp. It's only recently been legalised. Um, hemp is, is a cold weather, short day length crop, so it doesn't necessarily grow well here. Therefore, we've had to try a large number of varieties from uh, various places like China, France, Italy, to see what, what actually works. What are you hearing from farmers when it comes to industrial hemp? Farmers are interested. There is certainly a level of interest out there, and I think um, where the real interest will be is to see where hemp fits into a, into a cotton system rather than as a, a standalone crop. And, and I think there could be some real benefits in terms of value add, but let's see what comes out of this value chain study. So where next for you in this project? Well, I'll be submitting that report to AgriFutures, who fund a lot of good work looking at new um, new potential crops for Australia. Um, and we'll just see what AgriFutures want to do for with that report from there. But um, we certainly want to go out, uh, I'm head of extension, take that material out to farmers and say, look, here are some options. This may or may not be viable for you. And um, the department, Plant Industries, the branch, is very keen to work with growers around the territory to um, help them grow hemp, both from an agronomic and a financial point of view. And growing hemp to make hempcrete that could 
help build cheaper housing for remote communities. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think the big the big draw card, apart from lower transport costs because it is lighter, is the fact that it is um, an absorber of carbon dioxide, so it's got a greenhouse gas benefit. And look, who knows, in the future we could um, work with Indigenous communities to grow hemp on site and possibly set up some hempcrete facilities so the blocks are made um, within remote communities. That is Alex Peachy, who is the Head of Agricultural Extension with the NT Department of Industry, talking about hemp opportunities in 2022. Uh, G'day, this is Vin Yuen from TV Farms in Sydney Markets, and you're listening to The Country Hour. In the second half of The Country Hour, we'll be off to a farm near Darwin, which is growing jumper duck. And I'm wondering if you have ever sat down to a good feed of this tropical fruit. So jumper that itself is actually very different to a jackfruit. Um, it's a more of a softer fruit. It's a Southeast Asian delicacy. Consumers sometimes do eat it raw ripe. Or some other consumers would either fry it like a banana fritter. How do you like your jumper dut? Do you eat it raw? Do you fry it up like a fritter? Or perhaps you've never heard of it and never tried it. <laughs> Either way, hope you can join us for the second half of the program as we head along to a farm and learn all about this tropical fruit. We'll be speaking to the Weather Bureau in five minutes' time. If you've got a question for the Bureau, send it through via the text line, which is now back up and running, 0487 991057, the text number, if you have a question for the Weather Bureau. But now it is news time on your ABC. It's one o'clock. G'day folks, Troy Casadaly here. Um, every time I get to the Territory, it's always a, an honour and a privilege. I get up here and I flip lures at Barramundi and Saratoga and whatever else will chase my line. Um, it's a great place to be. You're very lucky to live up here and you're tuned into the country here. Thank you, Troy. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. Western Australia has eased some of its restrictions around bovine yoni's disease. What does this mean for NT cattle producers and stud breeders? We'll be talking about this in just a moment. And as promised, we will be off to a farm near Darwin to go and check out some jumper duck that is in season right now. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Billy Lynch is there this afternoon. Billy, jumper duck. Have you sat down to a good feed of that before? G'day, Matt. I've never heard it. What are you talking about? That's fine. It's, uh, it's not a well-known fruit, that is for sure. It's in the jackfruit family. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm sure you'd see it for sale every now and then at the Rapid Creek Markets. There's a, there's a, there's a commercial operation near Darwin. And, um, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll let you tune into the country hour and keep an eye out for it in the shops, mate. All right. <laughs> Jump we'll it do. up. <laughs> uh, weather-wise, well, there's not many clouds around, is there, today? No. I mean, the clouds are building, but there's, yeah, not a lot of rain falling from them at the moment. Um, we've got a trough sitting uh, south of Tennant Creek, um, and it's... Yeah, generally north of that trough that um, we're expecting some isolated showers and thunderstorms. But um, at the moment, yeah, the, any rain that we're getting is mainly around the, the coastal parts of the top end. So 
um, seeing a few storms pop up yeah around the coasts um, as we progress into the or throughout today um, probably expect the storms to concentrate a bit more around the, the western Arnhem districts so around sort of the Kakadu to Catherine region um, and then pushing across the daily district as well but um, probably not too much for Darwin today but um, yeah a bit of a chance in the rural area. Okay and as for the Barclay and Central Australia what are the next few days looking like? Yeah I mean today chance slight chance of seeing some showers and thunderstorms just with that humidity but it will be isolated but the trend will be for some drier air to push in so by tomorrow the, the storms contracting north of Tennant Creek um, by Saturday probably pushing up uh, north of Elliot um, as a result, those temperatures building. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, today we're looking at uh, top temperatures uh, of around 40, 41 degrees around Javois, Kintour, Papunya. Um, by tomorrow, Tennant Creek's back into the 40s. Um, and, yeah, it's that Barkley, or particularly the Tanami, that, that the heat builds over the next few days with... Large Manu and um, Rabbit Flat, for example. I see Rabbit Flat's due for 45 degrees on Sunday. Yeah, and Large Manu 44 on the same day. Kintour 40, 43 or 44. So, um, yeah, the heat re- really building through there. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, a bit of a trend over the next few days. Okay, Javoy is expecting a top of 43 on Sunday. Yikes. So it seems like we're just in a bit of a... Um, a, a warmer period here in the uh, in the summer wet season period. Have you got any good news for us on the horizon and when we may see a change? Uh, not really. Like I guess across the top end, it looks like we're in this monsoon break period for the foreseeable future. Um, certainly for the next sort of seven to ten days, no right. sign of the monsoon returning. Mm. Um, through the Barkley and the, the cattle country, it does look like um, a bit of moisture returns early next week. So. Um, as I mentioned, that the storm's sort of contracting north of Elliot by about Saturday. But from around Monday, Tuesday, probably the moisture spreading back down through those central parts of the Territory with just, um, again, just isolated showers and storms. But um, that will help bring the, the temperatures down a bit as well. But even that's sort of short-lived. So by about Wednesday, it's clearing off again and the temperature's building up again. So... Um, yeah, I think you're right. We're sort of in a bit of a hot period with, you know, some sporadic rain, but it's it's not going to be widespread or drenching. Okay, then. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon, Billy. Okay, thanks, Matt. Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau, and as expected, not too much to report from the rain gauges in the last 24 hours. Gove Airport's had 5 millimetres. Kiana Station has recorded 12, and Keep River National Park, 13 millimetres in the gauge this morning. Yeah, g'day, it's Greg Owens here, uh, recently retired from NT Farmers, but still hoping to be a big part of our farming community in the north, and you're listening to the NT Country Hour. Now, Western Australia's COVID border restrictions were meant to come down last week, but as you know... Government over there knocked that idea on the head and has delayed its reopening plans. But for cattle producers, a different biosecurity border has been eased. 
And that's around the management of bovine yoni's disease, or BJD. So after years of trying to stay free of this disease, WA last year had a major outbreak in its south and has now eased a bunch of its restrictions. Max Rowley spoke to Northern Territory bull breeder Moira Lanzarin about what this means for her business. Yeah, Max, it simply means that we once again have greater marketing options, whether it be for our bulls here to go across to properties in the West or breeder cows or anything like that. It just gives us much better options um, and far less expense than concern. You decided to stop selling cattle to Western Australia last year because of the BJD regulation. What was the, the biggest issue for you there? There had been a testing regime and stuff for quite some time, well, for BJD, and we had been doing that at a cost of approximately $3,000 a year. And then then they'd stepped it up to another level and they were requiring even more animals tested, far greater cost. And for it to just, on the off chance that somebody might be interested in buying your animals, it just became far too prohibitive. And the market now, um, what you said there could be some opportunities there. Do you think this will really change your outlook for the year? Look, it gives us more options, and so that's always pleasant. Uh, as to whether we once again sell to stations in the Kimberleys, it will uh, simply depend whether that works uh, easily for them. And because we're so far away yeah, from everywhere, it obviously also depends whether transport options fit in as well to make it economic for those producers uh, to get those genetics. But at least those options are now more easily back on the table. There is a, still the, the current border issues for people entering WA. Would that impact those markets at all for you? Look, at the moment, um, for just paddock sales, not necessarily. Yeah, quite often um, those deals are done through agents in the respective state and nowadays with phone calls and photos uh, and even yeah, FaceTime type you know, video links, people can actually inspect and get a pretty good look at the animals virtually as opposed to having to inspect themselves. And so quite often those paddock sales don't require a physical interaction yeah, with the vendor and the buyer. The, obviously, the bull sales, the multi-vendor bull sales that occur each year in yeah, Broome and Fitzroy Crossing, if I had cho- uh, choose to do those again, then that would require yeah, me travelling over with the bulls. Um, but I would like to think if uh, they're not until August or September, something like that, and I think hopefully COVID and border restrictions are well and truly eased by then. Strict rules will still apply to properties with suspected or confirmed BJD cases in the past five years if you're wanting to send them to WA. Does that seem reasonable to you? I think that sounds more than fair. And um, so properties like ourselves that had been uh, already tested uh, clear and a high JBAS status, then yeah, 
no dramas and no issues. But um, for those that have had, then I think that seems more than reasonable. And now these changes have come into effect. Do you see any reason at all to test for BJD? The look, um, I wouldn't think so. I think it's a bit like um, COVID, no need to do the test unless any symptoms or warning bells um, rock up. Just lastly, Moira, um, you're based just south of Matarenka, but you're actually in North Queensland at the moment. How's the country looking there? Uh, The country's looking amazing. It's beautiful uh, crossing the Barclay and Flinders Highway and seeing it green and growing grass. And when we came across, we were very fortunate to uh, just have the floodwaters receding in front of us. And so we were able to get my sons into boarding school safely. Um, And now on the return home, we're seeing extra growth in the grass as well. So it's good to see the country looking so good. And so hopefully there'll be properties all over the place chasing breeders. And um, so that's a good thing for the whole industry. It's Moira Lanzarin from Kadadi Brahmins, just south of Mataranka. You can find all the details about the new BJD import conditions via the WA government's website. I just jumped onto Google and typed in bovine yoni's disease rules Western Australia and bang, comes up in the top spot there, which is handy. It is 16 past one. You are tuned into the country hour. Guess what is back this Sunday on ABC TV. Landline's back for its 31st year this Sunday. Meet Australia's trailblazing leather scientist. She's been a great advocate for the leather industry, that's for sure. And farming mature trees. Every tree's different to lift. Every tree grows differently. Some are heavy on the base, some taller trees. So, yeah, there's there's a bit of calculating goes into before you lift a tree. That's Landline, 12.30 Sunday on ABC TV. Yes, Landline is back this Sunday on the ABC. And the old market report is getting another run this year, which is fantastic. Looking forward to that. This Sunday, I'll be taking a look at the rising price of stock horses and quarter horses. I mean, some of the money being forked out is just unbelievable. We will speak to a lady near Tamworth who sold a horse this month for $550,000. That's Landline this Sunday on ABC One. And as always, if you miss it, you can catch it via ABC iView. Now, I get the impression that not many of you have ever tried Jumper Dut. So stick around and we'll go and visit a farm next. It is 21 past one, making rural news in the Territory this week is that a Queensland cattle company backed by a Canadian pension fund has bought 1.1 million hectares of cattle country in Central Australia for nearly $100 million. If you missed our coverage earlier in the week about the Hewitt Cattle Australia company, snatching up a bunch of cattle country there in Central Australia. That story is now up on our website if you go searching for NT Country Hour. Hi, my name's Philomena. I'm from Acacia Hills Mango Farm and you're listening to The Country Hour. I am wondering if you've ever tried Jumper Dut before. 
It's related to jackfruit. And let's be honest, it's not a well-known fruit to most Aussie shoppers, but it is grown commercially here in the Northern Territory, and this year's season is shaping up pretty well. Dan Fitzgerald went along to Han Shung Sia's farm near Darwin to learn more and have a taste of some fresh, territory-grown jumpadut. It's a similar family to a jackfruit. Uh, it's the same as, same as it's in the Articarpus family, which is the family of, that covers jackfruit, breadfruit, meringue, and jumpadut. So, yeah, we've, we've grown jumpadut here for the last 30-something years, uh, and it's just this year has been the best year so far as we put some love and care into it. We've produced close to three tonnes of fruit this year out of our 50 trees that we have, which is considered our record, so we're pretty happy with the volume, and consumers' feedback has been pretty good. Why has this season been so good? Um, the rain. I think the, the warmer, dry season that we had, um, it, it, it's caused the trees to flower more. Being jumped up, it's actually a seasonal crop, Whereas jackfruit that we have in, in Northern Territory in the Darwin region, it's year-round fruiting. Whereas jumper that has to be very seasonal, so it has to be that right condition for it to flower. And this year for the dry season, it was, I can guess, spot on. So, And we put a fair, fair bit of um, nutrients into the trees and we got a fair bit of fruit. So uh, three tons out of 40 to 50 trees, is, we're pretty impressed. So you don't get fruit every year? We've historically had very low volumes, historically. Like we might be lucky to get maybe 500 kilograms, I think, last year. Um, yes, yeah, so jumper that itself is actually very different to jackfruit. Um, it's more of a softer fruit. Um, it's a Southeast Asian delicacy. The more the Northern Asian customers don't like to taste, it's very different taste profile to a jackfruit. Is what we assume. It's a lot softer. Consumers sometimes do eat it raw, ripe, like as, as raw as, as it's natural itself. As some other consumers would eat a um, fry it like a banana fritter. Similar texture, and that's how my dad eats it. But you know, for me, it's I kind of eat it raw. Yeah, it certainly does look similar to a jackfruit. Um, it is about 30 centimeters long. This one in front of us here, and it's got little green spikes on it, but it's elongated yep. rather than a big fat jackfruit. Yes, and you're going to cut one open for us. Yes, I am going to cut one over today. It's a different way to cut it. You don't just slice it like a, like a jackfruit. You just you take the skin off. Uh, you, take, you lightly cut the, the skin with a knife. You can hear it. And you just cut it all the way down to, this, to, to, to the core, to the bottom. And you peel it open like that. You see how soft it is? Yeah, it's very soft. All right. And you just peel it like a banana. And we're looking at a whole bunch of little yellow segments and what are they called aerials they call little aerials and then you just pull the little center core the little um the stem and these little aerials come out with the core mm. is it like it's meant to do like that and there we go have a go watch out there's a seed in the middle like a jackfruit it's slimy yeah it is a bit slimy <laughs> what do you reckon dan a bit like a jackfruit but mm-hmm. stronger mm. i think and softer, mm, not yep. crunchy, very unique. Not really my taste, I don't think. <laughs> it's mm. a, it, it is an acquired taste. Um, we would be surprised, like a lot of Vietnamese uh, consumers in Sydney and Melbourne don't like this product, jump at that, and they try to avoid it. So when, the, when we're trying to sell the product, it's a lot of Vietnamese uh, greengrocers that buys a lot of the fresh products from the market. They, when they see jumper that they try to avoid it because they, they, they know their personal customers don't want to buy it whereas the Malaysians and the Indonesians 
don't know there is jump with that on available in Australia. So that's where the marketing has to be pushed, and that's where there's you know there's a lot of new buyers coming in that's trying these jump with that. And and you know we we've tried to tee towards that and and trying to aim for that I guess. Are there many other people growing jump with that in the top end? Not in the top end I'm aware of. Maybe there's a couple of two growers. Um, or there's also Jumper Jack, which is a Jumper Dut jackfruit hybrid, which is when they've when someone in, in overseas cr- crossed the jackfruit and Jumper Dut, it's a lot bigger. Um, uh, in Queensland, northern Queensland, there's a few growers that do it. They, they're more later. They're coming in probably about February is, is when they're crop, whereas we, we're usually mid, late December, early November when I get our crop. Um, yeah, and they have different varieties over there as well. They've got one that looks like a red, small little red one, which is flaming jumper dot, I believe they call it, or red jack, red jumper dot, which is a very different profile. There's other types. Our one is, is very historical. Ours one was bought in the mid-90s through a quarantine, and you know, we've had it since, I guess. We chose the best that we could back then. That is Northern Territory farmer Han Shang Sia. His company is Tropical Primary Products and they grow all types of tropical fruits. He was speaking there to Dan Fitzgerald about Jumper Dutt. ABC Sport. Grandstand Summer of Cricket continues on the ABC Listen app. Catch all the action from the T20 series between Australia and Sri Lanka. He gets the edge, cornered second flip. He launches him this time, flakes him all the way out of the ground. And he swings into this, he's cornered cover. Grandstand Summer of Cricket, live and ad-free on the ABC Listen app. If you are in the cattle industry or interested in the beef industry, a reminder that time is quickly running out to register for this year's NT Cattlemen's Association Conference. It is being held in Darwin this year at the Convention Centre. The big day, the Friday, where the main conference is held and also the gala dinner, that will be on Friday the 25th of March. So if you would like to register and go along, get in contact with the NTCA, sign up and we'll see you there. Nearly $100 million, that's what Hewitt Cattle Australia forked out to buy some cattle stations in Central Australia. As mentioned, if you missed our coverage earlier in the week, you can read all about it on our website. Just search for NT Country Hour and away you go. Our top story today is that the company that's looking to restart the Mount Todd Goldmine near Catherine, it has released its feasibility study today. The numbers look good. According to Vista Gold, it still needs to raise a lot of money, though, more than $1 billion to get things up and going there at Mount Todd. If you missed the interview with the general manager, Brent Murdoch, that will be on our podcast later on this afternoon. I'll catch you at 12.30 tomorrow. It'll be Friday. Can you believe it? Until then, keep it rural. Keep it rural.